0: issue of the holiness of God. We've been talking about sin, and sin, of course, is an offense against the holiness of God. And so we'll continue to see that story of our sin play itself out today in the story of Cain and Abel. And yet at the same time, we'll see continued glimpses of the grace of God in the story of Cain and Abel as well. If you have a Bible handy, and I hope that you do, I'd like to invite you to open there to Genesis, the fourth chapter. It's on page 3 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, We'll read that passage there in just a second here. And I encourage you to look in the inside of the bulletin there. There are uh, notes to follow along for the sermon outline. And I want to tell you up front, we're not going to quite get to all of the sermon outline, it turns out. Um, There's just kind of too much for us to cover today. And uh, we don't have enough time to cover it all, which is... Kind of annoying, frankly, because it takes a long time to prepare all 16 verses. But we're going to get to about 10, 10 verses today. Uh, so, uh, take that as an encouragement to take the, the discussion guide home and to uh, continue to study on your own the rest of this uh, passage. So, we're not going to get to all 16 verses. Um, but the goal is not to get to the end of verses. The goal is for us to hear what God wants to tell us. So... Uh, So I hope that you're on that journey with me today as we look into Genesis. Before we uh, jump in to the passage, let's go ahead and pray together. Lord God, it is our hope to know you and to hold in our hearts your holiness so that that would be known by us in greater relief because of having been here today with the body of Christ. We ask that you'd use what we do today to develop us, to help us grow, that we would be worshipers who celebrate uh, who you are by yourself without us, and yet at the same time that we also uh, celebrate what you've done for us in the person of Jesus Christ and what you've done for us to bring us salvation and redemption. And we ask that what we do today would would come together in a way that you would use by your Holy Spirit to cultivate in our lives a place of growth so that what we study, what we sing, what we pray, the the things we read and think about today would uh, sort of coalesce in a way that your spirit uh, is in charge of so that we would continue to grow and we would keep ourselves, Lord, in that place of growth as we leave here to communicate the gospel. So, Father, speak to us now as we uh, jump into Your Word. We ask this in the name of Your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, speaking of not getting to the whole uh, 16 verses, you remember last week we didn't quite get to all of those verses, but, but there was something at the end there that I want to point out from last week's passage. It's at the end of chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. And uh, it's something that highlights a truth that we've been, been learning about in, in, in Genesis, uh, but we will continue to see in the passages uh, week after week that grace is something that we often think of easily as a, a New Testament thing, sort of a, an after Jesus kind of thing. But grace is all over the Old Testament. It is something that we see uh, throughout the Scriptures, and uh, we see it all over Scripture. And especially last week, if you look at 3.22-24, to 24, Uh, We'll read that in just a second, but, but this is, this is after, immediately after Adam and Eve's sin against God, and if you remember, God cursed the serpent and the ground, and He told Adam and Eve that they would to, they would begin to experience pain and frustration, that, uh, that the frustration and pain of childbirth and of working the ground, uh, the two things to which they were largely called by God there, that that would be difficult, that would be annoying, that would be frustrating, and so, and so Adam, if you remember, in, uh, in what we said last week was faithful hope of even the gospel then. You see in 315, that's the first gospel. And so in faithful hope of that good news that God preached to Adam and Eve in 315, Adam named his wife Eve. It was sort of an act of faith for Adam. He called her giver of life. And so he believed that she would bear the offspring that God spoke of in 3.15 where he says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's God talking to the serpent. But but notice the he there is a singular pronoun, he. One he will bruise your head and you will bruise his, one singular pronoun, heel. So Adam was demonstrating faith in God's plan even last week. Now, in verse 21, we talked about God uh, making garments for them, that, that, that he made full garments that at least went down to the knee, uh, perhaps the ankles that went all the way down. And he had to do that, of course, by killing an animal. And, and, and while temple sacrifice didn't happen then, uh, quite yet, of course, there was no temple, um, it was an act of God demonstrating atonement for them, the act of him covering their sin. That's something we looked at last week. So we've seen faith. And we've seen grace already there immediately after the fall. But look at verses 22 to 24 again here. It says, The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden... He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, look at verse 22 there for a second. Most of us read that verse. It says, Behold, the man has become like one of us. This is God talking like one of us, meaning the Trinity, all three persons. The man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And then he sort of stops mid-sentence there. Most of us read that verse, verse 22, and we think, apparently God is worried that Adam is going to be like him. Like God, as if if Adam would now be a threat to God's status as perfect and holy God. But of course, that's not really what's going on here. To the contrary, it would not throw God in some sort of uh, upheaval. It wouldn't throw a wrench in God's plans, uh, as if he would have to say, "Uh uh-oh, now what do I do? And it's not that knowing good and evil means that, that he will live forever like God. Rather, God is stopping mid-sentence there in 22 because he cannot bear the thought of Adam living forever in his newfound sinful condition. Let me repeat that because it's big. God's not worried that Adam's going to be like him forever. He's worried that he's going to be like himself, like Adam, in his sinful condition forever cursed, forever damned. That's what God is worried about in that verse. So in these verses, at the end of chapter 3, God is saying, sort of saying this kind of thing to Adam, before you partake of the tree of life and live forever in your sinful condition as one who is cursed or damned, just like the serpent in the ground, I will throw you out of the garden. So he's sort of saying to Adam and Eve there, before you go any further, you've already taken of the tree of knowledge, and and lest you also take of the tree of good and evil, I'm going to throw you out of the garden. And of course, that's something that, that means they lost God's presence like they had known. And we talked about that last week. But it's also its own act of grace for God to continue to allow them to know him through his plan that would come from his offspring. There's a lot going on here in Genesis. But that's one of the cool things here is that we see grace in, in all of these passages even early on in Genesis. We see hints of God's redemptive plan starting in Genesis. So even here, Adam and Eve in verses 22 to 4 are receiving the provision and the grace of God lest they mess it up to the point of no return. And we see that kind of grace continuing in our passage today in 4, 1 to 16, in the the story of of Cain and of Abel. I'm going to read that whole story here in just a second. Um, So I want you to be ready for that. But what we're going to see today is that this grace continues to come at us in surprising ways. And, And you may be surprised in this story what part we play. This ancient story has implications for our life today. You see, the the way of Cain and, and the murder that resulted from that anger of his is of course nothing new. And it's happening all around us every day. And it's happened in our own lives. So, let's read through that passage there. 4, 1 through 16. Now Adam, now Adam knew Eve his wife. He had sexual relations with her. That's what the Hebrew word know there uh, connotes. It it means other things too, but that's one of the things it can mean. Now, Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. The word Cain sounds like the word forgotten there. So, verse 2, again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but, verse 5, for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. That word for in the Hebrew can also mean against. Its desire is for, maybe against you, but you must rule over it. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Verse 15, Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Some of you may remember a few years ago, there was a tragic story that came out in the news in Houston, Texas. It's a tragic story about a mom who went to great lengths to ensure that her daughter made the cheerleading squad. This is what the Chicago Tribune said. Uh, It began this way. A Texas mother was so intent on making sure her daughter made the cheerleading squad that she was willing to hire a hitman to kill a competitor's mother, reported police. This woman hoped that her daughter's 13-year-old competitor would be so overwhelmed at grief of her mother's death, that she would drop out of the competition. In fact, detectives said that at first, the woman plotted to uh, hire, to just kill the man, I'm sorry, to kill uh, both the girl and the woman, but ended up with just the woman because the double murder was too expensive. So she opted for just the mom. Now, (laughs) we hear a story like that, and we think, that is absurd, you know, truth is stranger than fiction indeed and and we and we think how in the world would somebody do something like that for a cheerleading squad spot in high school but after stories like Cain and Abel and what we know in our own lives and what we've read about and from our own uh, own history We know that this is not something we should be surprised about. We probably shouldn't be surprised because we're just 12 years past the century that is unchallenged by historians as the century that saw more murderous violence than all of human history combined up to 1900. In fact, from 1900 to 1990, there were 125 million plus people murdered for all sorts of causes. But, of course, that's not a new story. And it's not a story we have no part in. It's not a story for which we bear no responsibility. We'll talk about that later on. But but we think when we hear those kinds of things, I've never killed anybody. I'm not Cain. I've never killed a brother or a sister. Well, let's just keep going through the text and see... What happens? One thing we learn in the first few verses there is that God establishes relationships. God establishes relationships, both with Adam and Eve at first, and then he gives relationships with one another in horizontal fashion as well. And that happened, of course, because God gave Eve sons. He gave Eve sons for relationship with one another. In other words, God makes babies. God makes babies And, and, and he is still, of course, creating people. And these people are those with whom he and we are meant to have relationship. God is saying, I love you, and I want to have a relationship with you. And Eve's response shows that she understands not just where children come from, but she understood that that means that God wanted to establish relationships with people. Look at verse 1 there. Now, now Adam, this is four one. Now, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, the Hebrew... Uh, man, the Hebrew word for man there is, is not used anywhere else in, in all of Scripture to describe a baby boy, and, and, and that's significant because it's a hint of what Eve means when she says it, when she names her, her when she calls her baby Ish. She doesn't name him, but he, she calls him Ish, uh, the, the Hebrew word for man. She's noticing as the baby comes out, oh, this is like this is like Adam. This is an ish, is basically what she's saying. She's noticing that it was another uh, man, another ish. So Eve says, in effect, God made man, and now with the help of the Lord, I have made a second man. In fact, we're going to get a little nerdy here, but, but the Hebrew word actually is, I have gotten a man, comma, the Lord. Now, she may actually be thinking, that as she's bearing a child, the first child ever in human history to be born, she may actually be thinking she is having the Messiah. But that's not something you've ever heard in your theology training, is it? Eve thinks she is having the Messiah. She says, I have gotten a man, the Lord. Her words are a declaration of faith. Even believed, Eve actually believed she was bearing the one talked about in 3.15. Remember, she was told by God, by way of his curse of the serpent in 3.15, that he would put enmity, that is strife, between you, that is, uh, the serpent, and the woman. So she heard this whole conversation between your offspring, the serpent's offspring, and her offspring. And it says, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So Adam and Eve, who responded in faith by 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 calling her Eve, the mother of all living. They demonstrated that faith, and and, and when she bears the first child, she actually thinks the offspring is here. The offspring who is going to take take care of our sin, who is going to crush the serpent's head, has arrived. What else would she think? So there's a, a clear note of optimism in this verse here. I can just imagine for the very first pregnancy of all time, the sense of awe and of wonder that they had. They'd never seen that before. It's something that, that happens by the millions and millions and billions nowadays. We just passed 7 billion population in the world. But it becomes so commonplace nowadays for us that we kind of take it for granted. But let us never forget that producing life is a miracle that should never be downplayed. It's a miracle that comes from God alone. They can't explain it. They can only describe it. Now, I remember, I remember so vividly uh, that overwhelming feeling of, of, of love for those children as they peeked their heads out into the world. And and for the very first parents, Adam and Eve, it must have been an incredibly strange but wonderful process. I'm sure that that Eve held Adam's hand to her stomach and said, feel this being inside of me. Perhaps Eve leaned down to, to try to listen to the heartbeat of the baby, of the stirring life inside of her. So, so they must have been in awe and of wonder. And, and, and that phrase there, the way she talks, shows optimism. It shows that, that God is going to do something because of this. So that's sort of the background and where the grace begins there in verse 1. Again, verse 2, she bore his brother Abel. She has another child. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In this story, we look for details. We ask questions. But many times those questions we ask are not the questions scripture wants to tell us about. And so there's not a lot told about the the background and the history, and that will be important here in just a second. So Eve conceived and has Abel, and his name signifies sort of a lack of permanence. And uh, it it alludes to the idea of his life being cut short. And uh, so we know nothing of the boys uh, growing up years, but we do know that, that Cain was a farmer and that Abel was a shepherd, both noble professions. So, So God gave sons as a way to establish relationships. And God established with Cain and Abel a worship relationship. We see that in verses 3 and 4 there. It says, "...in the course of time Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat portions." Now, we don't know if they regularly made those kinds of offerings, uh, but the text seems to suggest in the opening words uh, in the course of time that that this had been happening. So, whatever the case, there is a clear worship relationship with God going on here. But there's crisis ahead. There's crisis ahead. And the sin that enters the picture, picture destroys their relationships. Look at verses uh, 4 through uh, 7 there. Our sin begins to destroy the relationships, and this is what we see here because Cain becomes angry that God honored Abel's offering and not his own. It says this verses 4b through 7. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. The obvious question is, why was Abel's offering accepted while Cain's was not? <laughs> and why did Cain become so, so angry? Well, one one easy answer is that uh, animal offerings are more acceptable uh, than grain offerings, or at least that's what is posited as an answer. Uh, That that, that blood sacrifices are superior to harvest or grain offerings. Uh, But we know from the Old Testament that that is not the case. Uh, The Old Testament honors both types of offerings. And so the answer lies in the text of verses 3 and 4. Because whereas Cain only brought an offering of the fruit of the ground, it just says he brought an offering from the fruit of the ground. It says that Abel brought the best of his flock. It's in the differences of the heart motivation of the offerings. It said that Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Now, apparently, apparently Cain didn't really care about his offering. Apparently Cain didn't really care much about his offering. But, but Abel was careful And intentional. He thought about it. He put in some effort into it. Cain was indifferent. Abe was intentional. The difference was the heart attitude with what they brought. You see, Cain came to God on Cain's own self-prescribed terms. Cain set up the terms of his worship relationship with God. Cain's spirit was arrogant. Abel's spirit was willing, intentional, thoughtful, showed care and purpose. And we know of that difference in part because of the 11th chapter of Hebrews, the faith chapter we call it. It says, by faith... Abel, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And through that, he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. Cain's was not an offering from faith. He presumed, Cain presumed, to define what his own sacrifice was going to be. He was the captain of his own heart. And God would have to take him and his offering as it was. How often do we presume how or how much we will give God? How often are we the captains of our own offerings? We are not so different from Cain. And we think we are. We see in verse 5 that Cain's sinful attitude was all over his face. It says Cain was very angry and his face fell. So God actually gently responds, verses 6 and 7. And he says, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. God is even then still offering Cain grace even in his response. Cain could have taken that divine disapproval of his offering as a gracious communication and humbly asked for God's forgiveness even then. He could have have promised never to do that again. I've learned my lesson, God. I am sorry that I set up the terms of this worship relationship. It could have been his answer even then, but it was not. Instead, and don't miss this, anger toward God. Anger toward God is what welled up in Cain. But it was directed at his brother Abel. Cain was angry at God, but it was directed at his brother Abel. For whom here has that not been the case hundreds of times in one's life? Our anger comes out horizontally at people, often and most easily the people who are around us and we know well. But really really we are upset at the terms god has set for us not being allowed to be the captain of our own hearts that is the real problem how often are we angry at a person but really underneath we are truly upset at how unfair it all is and how we seethe at god like cain not so different from cain are we so cain killed his brother And he destroyed a relationship that God had established. Look at 8-10 through there. God established the relationship, but by murdering his brother, Cain did away with that. He destroyed the relationship. Cain spoke to Abel. This is verse 8 and following. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Why did Cain kill Abel? Was it because he, killed, was it because he hated Abel? Well, no, it wasn't. He killed out of hatred toward God. Here's how one preacher says it. Murder is an act of hatred toward God for making or accepting another who offends us or troubles us or is favored with gifts and honors that we do not have or who stands in our way. Murder is an act of hatred toward God for making or accepting another who offends us or troubles us or is favored with gifts and honor that we do not have and that we want. Cain's murderous crime was not directed at Abel, but was directed at what Cain saw as a restricting God who didn't deserve his worship. Surely, none of us has felt that way about God. Surely, we've never been angry at anybody like that. Friends, the truth of the story is that we have all, we have every one of us committed spiritual homicide in our hearts. Not just at the Ables in our lives. Not just at the Ables in our lives whom we would call brother or sister, but at God himself. It's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, You have heard it was said of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Not so different from Cain, are we? Maybe you and I haven't committed murder that would send us to prison but every single one of us has committed murder that would send us to hell. Don't get too happy about the first truth so you miss the truth of the second one. Maybe
1: you haven't committed
0: murder that would send you to prison, but every single one of us Has committed a murder that would send us to hell. How many relationships have we destroyed? Because of our anger. It's really not, really not about you and me. It's about needing to have a broken relationship with God fixed. The passage goes on to, give us the truth that God's justice avenges our sin. And that His grace is what repairs our relationships. We serve a God who reaches out and says, lest you continue to go down the route that damns you forever, I send you out so that you can experience redemption through my own provision on the cross. Let's pray.